This is Coda Radio, episode 263 for June 29th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us, wandering somewhere around the East Coast, I imagine. Why, yes, folks, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Mr. Fisher, it is a lovely, balmy day in the swamps of Florida, right? Now. Oh, so you've made it to Florida. It's official. I am. Well, I, I'm still. Well, actually, I'm technically not homeless anymore. I signed a lease today. Okay. Wow. Big day for you. Congratulations. Show, oh, it's always on show days. It's always got to be a show day, right? Oh. It's got- <laughs> Tightens the drama. Oh my gosh, I swear, everything always happens on show day. Well, Mr. Dominic, I'm glad to hear it. So, you not only are you able to get a place, but you managed to get an internet connection, a microphone, and a laptop. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, I'm not in the place yet. Oh, oh, okay. I'm at a relative's, yeah. Ah, the, the backup recording. So this is uh, Florida Studio B, then. <laughs> this is uh, a System76 Lemur, a code keyboard that I ordered with oh. a Acer monitor that was a lightning deal on Amazon. Oh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that code keyboard. What's going on here? Because uh, I saw you tweeting about this. Well, feast your eyes on this. This? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I hear those. I hear those rich tones. So, is uh, what you go with uh, as far as keys? You know, everybody's going to want the details. I, uh, of course, I went with the blue. Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I'm usually a DOS keyboard guy, but I was in a little bit of a pinch. Uh, the code keyboards are slightly less expensive, so I'm like, you know what? Let me try something new. Uh, a couple Twitter folks recommended it, and I, I'm pretty happy with it. It's very plain Jane. It doesn't have some of the frills that the DOS keyboards have, like knobs for volume and all of that. But on the back, if you flip that over on the underside there, it's got this, uh, these levers that are marked 1 through 6, and they change what the keyboard does at the hardware level. What? So for instance, by flipping one switch under the keyboard, I make the print screen key actually do f- audio functions. Which has been like super helpful. That is so great. So no futzing with software on the computer, and if you wanted to go right. back, you just flip the switch back. It just flip the switch back. Like yeah. so, they say when I heard, do you think the caps lock key is useless? Maybe that'd be useful as control. Well, that's what they said. You can change it. Yeah, you can change it to control. You can. There, there are six of them, and different combinations do different things. If you're sitting down at a Mac, you need to swap swap the Alt with the Command key. Hit the. That's right. That is that really. Is, this is a slick thing. This is so. This is the code keyboard. CodeKeyboards.com. Is that where you ordered yours? Or did you get yours on Amazon? I, I didn't follow. I went with Amazon because I uh, went for the Prime one day shipping. Because you know. So the Cherry MX Blue, you'll love the satif- satisfying click of Cherry MX Blue. <laughs> They're very balanced for typing or for gaming. Excellence. They combine medium actuation force with satisfying tactile click activation on every keystroke. These renowned switches deliver a superior type of experience over cheap rubber dome keyboards. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, in terms of all the mechanical keyboards I've tried, I've tried it basically every DOS keyboard except for the new weird internet connected one. Um, obviously, the IBM M way, way back in the day. 
they're all significantly better than whatever, whatever came with your computer, right? So even if you don't, you know, go with this one, I, I would recommend that you take a look at something. I know someone in the chat is mentioning the uh, Ultimate Hacking Keyboard. Mm-hmm. That's a little fancier, and it's not available yet, is my understanding. Do you remember what the price range was? Of this one? Yeah. It was like 100 bucks. I don't think it was. It was, it was yeah, so not I too bad. The, the, yeah, the DOS was like 140 That's why I went with this, because I was thinking, you know what, if I don't like it, I'll give it to somebody else, and eventually my stuff will be here what is it you hope when you like when you click an order uh you know in before we've even seen it like what is it that you're hoping from out of this keyboard is it a, a type of feeling that when you when you type that is more satisfactory like what is it that you want out of it yeah it's the type of feeling it's also that you know i didn't feel super efficient I'm, I'm not a big laptop uh and we've talked about this a bunch of times right i believe in clamshell mode i don't like to sit eight hours a day plus on a laptop so yeah, yeah. when I realized that, like, realistically getting my stuff down here, uh, when I say realized, I was told, was going to take longer than originally estimated because that's how moving companies work. Yep. Uh, I said, you know what? There's this lightning deal on this 27-inch 1080p Acer monitor, which isn't, like, you know, jaw-droppingly nice. No, but 27 is such a great size. It's such a great size. And, you know, I got to be honest, I have that 4K Dell at home, or rather in a storage container oh, right right. Now. right. I'm thinking 4K might be overkill for me, just because I I'm getting old and 1080p looks yeah, just right. I agree. If you're not, especially if you're not pixel doubling, but then you're you're making your GPU do extra work. Right. Whereas 2K is a great size, and just about every damn game plays great these days. If you have a decent GPU at that resolution, the, the you have plenty of space in the UI, and your GPU doesn't have to do the doubling work. Well, and I also noticed that uh, a lot of the jittery stuff in GNOME hasn't been happening. I'm not sure if that's a I'm just not noticing it now because I got used to it. Or if that's mm, a mm. the higher res monitor I, was making. Well, it also work if you've recently hard. rebooted, I find it's better for a few days. Um, or oh, little yeah. little pro tip in GNOME: if you hit Alt F2 and then and this will just as a fair warning could disrupt your workflow. So only do this when you want to try it. But uh, in fact, let's try it right now. I'm gonna so I do I'm do I'm on I'm on GNOME. And uh, I really hope I don't lose my browser because i got a ton of tabs open, but I shouldn't because all it's going to do is reload the GNOME shelf. You hit R and then enter. It Oh, this could break my video capture, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, would, I don't think that's but, a good idea. But it works. So, of course, I broke my video capture, but I can fix that pretty quickly. Um, so that reloads the GNOME shell and often fixes a lot of the performance issues I'm having too, which is not that, not that disruptive most of the time. It could screw with external monitors and stuff. But you know, but, but to your point though, just to double down on your point, so you said you, you know how you have that Dell 4K monitor. Um, I would say this too. I I don't know exactly how it works uh, price wise, but I would believe these days you could find a good enough deal on two 27 inch monitors, and it's easier, I would imagine, for most of us to get two 27 inch standard res- standard def monitors working off a machine than two 4K monitors. Oh yeah, I mean this Acer. I don't remember the exact price, but it was it was dirt cheap compared to like the Dell. I, mean, is, I think it was maybe one hundred and ten dollars. So I, as we're doing the show right now, I am. Uh, can you, you hear that? Yeah, what is that? That's my wrist brace. I'm wearing a wrist brace because my carpal tunnel is, or RSI, whatever you want to call it, is yeah. is making it to the point now where every it's just it's bad every day. Every single day it's bad, and I've tried changing stuff a little bit, but it, it hasn't made a big difference because I'm doing a lot of editing. And that is just that just is. Uh, I tell you what, it really screws up my wrist. So you got to get that twenty-seven inch Dell touchscreen for editing. <laughs> I'm just I'm always looking at this kind of stuff that I can change up with my input devices to help with with RSI. So I, I've heard some people say that the keyboards that have give you better feedback are better 
for those kinds of things. Well, I heard the worst are like the laptop keyboards because I remember I used to have an issue with that with like yeah. pain in my hands because I used yeah. to work on you know those uh, yeah. Mac Bluetooth keyboards, yeah. which are like absolutely horrible if you have ergonomic issues. I wonder if um, the Mac keyboards, you know, the new ones on the on the laptops that have short travel are better or worse for RSI. I would like people to tell me actually. Leave a comment I, or contact us and let me know. Yeah, I would love to hear that. I I can't imagine that they're not worse. So. Speak, uh, you know, and uh, also, uh, uh, so somebody in the chat, architects pointing out ultra wide on our on our uh, OBS machine that we use to uh, record and live stream this uh, this here very production. Um, I'm looking at it right here. Let's see if I can let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, our, this is a, a 29 inch LG display. And it's a 2560 by 1080. So it's a 21 by 9 display. So it's an ultra, ultra wide monitor. It's got a super long uh, uh, aspect ratio. It's kind of neat because you can easily fit uh, two full-sized applications on the screen at the same time easily. Or you could fit lots of windows. So I have, I have, a, I feel like a ton of screen real estate. And again, it's not, that's not a 4K resolution. Right. Speaking of contact, an email came into the show here, and uh, it's kind of, uh, kind of, kind of um, um, on point. It's, I think it was Shad. Is that is that how you? Uh, Shad, that's Shad, how he yeah. put his name. Yeah. Okay. So I really enjoy the show, uh, and Mike. I hope that the move goes well this week. Uh, well, at least as well as well as it can with the whole Phantom House thing. I think he must have caught user error. I remember Mike talking about the subcontract work on a previous episode. But I would be interested on in hearing more from him on it. Uh, I'm a developer and dedicated to uh, going out on my own as a freelancer. I did side gigs for several months and eventually had enough business where I could go full time. That was just over a year ago and things have gone about as well as I could have expected. I've been able to just about double my previous income and for several months last year my family and I traveled uh, around the country in a travel trailer since I could work from pretty much anywhere. Wow, that's great. Uh, as I said, I've been lucky with the clients um, and I, I've as and they've been long term contracts, which uh, if something were to happen, it would be difficult for me to replace them. Since I'm not only the development branch, I'm also the marketing and other necessary functions as the small business. And that's his way of saying I'm not I'm not getting new leads because I'm too busy working. Recently, I've been approached to do some subcontracting for larger agencies, uh, and I've done a couple of small jobs for them. The money's good, and I get to leverage their sales department and internal resources, which I couldn't match on my own. I'm learning to allocate more of my time to subcontracting, but I'm trying to weigh the risks and benefits of each options. Any thoughts on this somewhat of an interesting topic or maybe it could be something worth discussion? So what do you think, Mike? That's a yeah, real – that's a, your own dreams of uh, building your own client base and, uh, and being your own boss or does it sort of feel like giving in a bit and just becoming an employee again if you just get stuck on that sweet subcontracting sauce? Right. I, you know, I've been, I think about this a lot, right? So it depends what you're trying to do. If right now you're working alone and you're working as like a 1099 contractor as a developer, and that's just what you want to do, you know, you want to keep improving your skills and maybe every year increase your rate and get better and better accounts or at least better paying jobs, then working with agencies is is t- totally fine, right? There's no reason you shouldn't do that um, because, frankly, you don't have a sales department. You don't have a marketing department. You don't have mm-hmm. people doing that, and the agencies are actually providing value to you. If your goal is to create your own dev shop, and this is something I learned the hard way, those agencies will totally screw you <laughs> um, because you are not going to be able to show that work. And eventually you're going to get into a position where your shop is now bidding against people who you've basically built up their portfolio for them. And now you're you're effectively bidding against yourself, right? 
I've had several cases over the years where someone has uh, used my work that I did for them to bid against me and then turned around and subbed me the job that I just lost or tried to sub me the job that I just was unable to close, right? The contract I was unable to close. That's pretty, pretty tough. <laughs> um, so it depends. If you want to build a development shop, then subcontracting is probably going to be financially a necessary evil. You know, I still do it. But you have to understand that it's an evil. And also, you're going to make less money, right? Your shop is generally not going to get us full bill rate on a sub job. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind. And presumably, you know, you're still paying your employees or contractors yourself to do that work. So there's not a ton of margin there. But if you're, you know, and, and I have to be honest, there, there is something attractive about being the one-man band. Especially it sounds like you're getting positive feedback. You're getting referrals. So if you did choose to just stay as kind of the, like the Ronin, right, the wandering samurai here, um, it sounds like you could be booked, right? You have demand. It's just a question of do you want to build a company or do you just want to be an independent consultant? Yeah. And neither is bad. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, uh, which I think this has come through in the show, I have been very bogged down in the business side of the art and business for like the last year that every once in a while I look and I say, geez, is this even like, is this even worth it? Because scalability does get super, super hard. And then maybe you start a secret project. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, okay, so a couple things jump out at me. I think first of all, it'd be good if Shad's probably a little honest and say uh, insecurity about being hooked on just a couple of big whale clients is also playing a factor in this dichotomy that he finds himself in. So uh, you have to look at that and assess your risk there because it sounds like in a sense you've been proactively hedging with the subcontracting work. And I also – I would float the idea that the two things are not mutually exclusive. You could be a subcontractor and also maintain your own clients. It's just going to be a constant matter of balance. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't subscribe a value to one or the other. I would judge it more based on which work at, do you feel better about, and which makes you feel safer in your current work arrangement. And it sounds like to me, just reading your email, it's probably the subcontracting work. And I, and I would stop looking at it like it's a mutually exclusive deal, like you can only do one or the other, and start looking at it as an opportunity to observe uh, how a larger operation works. Consider how you could apply that to your operation once this client wraps up because eventually all good clients come to an end. And you can then apply those lessons learned to your business and use that to turn around and maybe more efficiently get new clients, maybe get larger clients, um, work with your own team, maybe start your own subcontracting business so that way you can take on different types of larger clients. I, I would actually say consider this a gift right now because it's allowing you to hedge when you're feeling insecure about your long term clients. And it's also allowing you to silently observe a much larger operation that's going to do things and learn lessons that you're not going to run into for quite a while. So I think yeah. it's a pretty good situation. And I wouldn't just, – just to add, I wouldn't look at it as being a one-man band is really uh, limiting. I would almost look at it like being a one-man band, your limiting resource is, is your time. How much do you want to work? So you actually need to have the attitude of being more selective about the projects you take. And really only taking things that either, you know, either financially make sense or if they're not like the best paying gig, you find technically interesting or lead you to pivot into a different space. If you go the opening your own agency slash shop route, you're going to quickly find that once you hit a certain scale, you'll be in this trough of uh, misery, basically, where you have to close (laughs) deals, where you just have to close. You have to close and you'll be you'll you as the owner will eventually 
there'll be like a six month period where you're effectively a sales guy. So, you know, I'm not sure that that's really what you want to do from your email. Uh, so just give us some thought. Yeah. If you want to send us a question, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Speaking of great values, digitalocean.com. Go there, create an account, and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL for a sponsor on the Coder Radio program this week. Digitalocean.com, a really simple way to spin up a machine on their infrastructure in less than a minute. It's great. They have SSD storage for all of the different rigs you could choose from, so you're always going to have great disk I.O. They have lightning-fast networking coming into the hypervisors. The hypervisors run Linux and KVM, so it's a great industry-standard virtualization platform. They've built on top of the shoulders of open-source giants and created the DigitalOcean platform with its easy-to-use, simple-to-understand dashboard. Total noobs or longtime experts can use this thing. They have an API that's straightforward, very simple to implement, lots of open source tools that already take advantage of it. The pricing that's ridiculous. You can run my favorite rig, and this isn't even the cheapest one. <laughs> this is not even the cheapest one. My favorite rig, three cents an hour. That's just so great for doing a little extra scaling during a release day, trying something out and having people publicly bang on it before you pull it back down and fix it. <laughs> These are just some of the quick uses at three cents an hour. You could take our promo code Coder Digital and get quite a bit of mileage out of it. Plus, they have team capabilities, highly available storage that you can attach to your rig via block. Or actually, I should mention this, too. They're now introducing object storage. Right? Brilliant. Now you can just build object storage in, and you can you can run it on DigitalOcean. It's it's going to be a game changer, and they're announcing early sign-up right now where you can get a terabyte free through October 31st. The simplest, cost-effective way to serve and store, backup, and archive virtually an infinite amount of media, web content, images, static, static files for your app, web apps. It's just a game changer, game changer, and they're launching early access right now. You'll, and if you get in, you get that terabyte for, until, I think, October. Just to mess around with it would be pretty cool. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there and create an account. And then once you're all set up, apply our promo code CODERDIGITAL. You get the $10 credit, and then you get cooking with gas. $10. Like, try out the $5 rig two months for free. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So what do you, uh, what do you, what do you make of this Facebook Messenger with this uh, – uh, this uh, the whole bot thing is it is the bot itself called Discover? I don't I don't really follow it because it's Facebook. No, Messenger. so yeah, Discover is a feature in the Messenger app now that basically will help users find um, presumably relevant bots to them. Ah, so it's like a bot find. See, I wish I could make myself use Messenger just because this is one of the more interesting yeah. bot spaces. It so, is. I mean, I, I'm pretty. Uh, you know, not to leak, but I'm pretty uh, been working on a bot most of the day, or part of the day, I mean, something like that. And and is Whoops. is this where you would go if you were going to? Well, certainly to look at what I mean, other people are doing. I mean, yes. you know, so if you want, okay, so if you want a useful bot, can we talk about this for a second? What like to make a no. bot useful? It actually has to somebody has to put a lot of time into this. Otherwise, these things are just going to be stupid toys that are just going to frustrate people. Like this has to be okay. done right. Well, but this is also like apps circa 2009, right? Yes, very much so, but they have to get somewhere. More like flashlight apps and kind of garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, I I definitely see a big opportunity here if you're willing to take pretty substantial amount of risk. Yeah. Um, Now, I have lots of concerns about like Facebook in particular, just because they've, this is not their first by any stretch run at the whole bot thing. And 
it, it Facebook has a habit, right? Of how, how do you say this? Like aggressively lever, leveraging development partners and then mm. sort of eating them alive. I mean, I'm sure Mark Pincus would have a few things to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I follow you. Formerly of Zynga. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that that's where I would necessarily want to bet the farm or in my case, the swamp, <laughs> but it, it is interesting because they are one of the leaders in the space, right? I mean, they're, they're and, and just by pure virtue of the, just the install base of messenger. Okay. I, I can I can definitely I can definitely see why Messenger would be attractive too for developers that want to make a buck selling a bot if these could actually be that useful because Messenger has built-in payment capabilities. Um, Facebook's a trusted brand amongst a bunch of users for some reason. So it seems like all the pieces are there outside of like, like other platforms where there's not all those account details already on file, payment system right. already wired in. That's all well, an advantage. A tremendous amount of user data that you could theoretically get a little peek at. So to be honest with you though, I can't really see it. I can't see it unless like unless I'm a unless I'm a service and the bot is a means to sell the service or the goods. And I don't see the bots themselves as being a revenue source. To me this seems like a this seems well, like something that your Nike's, your Spotify's, your yeah. Ubers, your Pizza Hut's, your Domino's. Domino's yeah. yeah. But how does how does Michael Dominic make a buck with a bot? So I'm going to bring it back to apps, right? Only the big boys make it in consumer. Um, and yes, there's always the edge cases, the games, you know, the the Stanford dorm room stories. But really, where all the middle tier or, or smaller players tend to make it is on the enterprise side, on the B two B side. And that's certainly not in Facebook Messenger. Yeah. So. What my the way I'm looking at Discover is it is a really cool way to see what is possible and what other people are thinking about, um, and maybe even to do like a demo proof of concept or something like that. But it is not something I'd be interested in simply because you know we, we and we've talked about this. I mean, it's the same story as apps. If you're going consumer, you need just a tremendous marketing budget, mm-hmm. and consumers are fickle and they're dirt cheap. So. Yeah, and, and it's not a space that I'm I'm super excited about. Okay, I mean the consumer side, right? I I think that the bots in in the business, right, business facing bots or bots that um, help companies work more efficiently, I think would yes. be pretty yeah, I pretty interesting. Seems to me there could just be a huge huge business in bots that just bridge business systems together that are, are either separate companies systems or systems that were in, inside one company but they were developed by different vendors so maybe one uses some crazy IBM database and one's using Microsoft SQL or Oracle or something and you got you to massage data you got to export data, massage it and then import data. It seems like bots could be great. Things like, I, I guess I'm I'm trying to make it sound like more than jacked up shell scripts and Perl scripts, but I feel like there is like there's room for a type of superhero Perl script that has question and response interactivity where staff members could go to the bot and say, I need you to do a, I need you to go do a SQL dump and I need you to prepare it for HR. And then the bot would kick off a whole series of work that could be, you know, in the past would have been 15 different shell scripts in the background. I don't know if I, but to me, it seems like that's just an obvious business use case. So does that seem likely? So someone's been reading my Gmail. <laughs> it's been a bot. <laughs> oh, well, I, then, um, am I sussing out kind yeah, of the the uh, thing that you? Yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of that's uh, that is certainly something that people are thinking about. 
Yeah, as, as somebody who in the past, uh, you know, set up a lot of systems to move data between uh, a bank mainframe and more modern systems running on Windows servers and Linux servers, it was a constant problem. And there was big software that sat in between those things and often broke. Well, and there's legacy systems that, you know, I, I've seen cases just like doing these uh, Docker deployments for people where like the legacy Oracle database just simply can't communicate with the new system. Right, right. So you need like a middleware. Yeah. It, there's say, a lot of opportunity. Say, really, and to, a, and to say nothing to, about integrating with whatever your corporate workflow might be, say, God forbid you use something like Trello or Slack or hell, even mailing lists. Like, right. you know, it was just, it's just, this could be a game changer in some sense. Or for some odd reason, link. Yeah. But as far as selling bots to consumers, unless unless it was something that fundamentally you know was a game changer, I just couldn't really see it. I just right, but like, what would you want to sell to consumers, right? Other than like a game for ninety nine cents? That's, see, I feel like yeah. it's a little unfair to like <laughs> take Facebook into a woodshed here because you you you're limited. If you could have full access to my iPhone and you could run in the background and you could help me take Telegram messages and translate them into do items in my favorite to do app. And you could move the data and set up checklists and all of that stuff. Then all of a sudden, yeah, I'm paying five, six, seven. I'm paying ten bucks for that functionality. But you can't oh, do it. You, you can't. You can't get access to Telegram. You can't get access to the to do app that I of my choice. You can't. You can't do it. So <laughs> anything that actually be useful that I'm willing to pay money for requires total run of the OS. It's got to be built in at the OS level. I figure. Right. And, and I would argue that a bot to be successful really needs to almost be like an extension of the team and not just, you know, uh, the Google customer service Python yeah. script. And if you've ever bought anything from Google, <laughs> you've dealt with that script several times. Yeah. You know, JBot does quite a bit for us here at, at yeah. JB. And that is that is particularly nice. It does do things that otherwise us humans would have to manually do all the time, which really means they wouldn't get done. In I, yeah. many, many cases. Yeah, we would often, there's little, there's definitely, sure. it's, it's multi-step yeah. processes that maybe something would get missed or something. Like maybe the titles page wouldn't get flipped over or something to, and reset for the next show. And, yeah. you know, we might forget to go ping this API and ping that. You know, there's just all kinds of stuff that it does for us that, that's why when we talk about this, I think I'm, I think I'm, I think you and I are probably less skeptical than the majority of the audience is about this topic to a degree because you are you are toying around with actual like possible business uses for it and i've i've been using you know a bot now for more than more than two years well yeah i mean from a business case it comes down to a cost benefit and like there are a ton of rudimentary tasks that every business does that you know even paying someone 10 bucks an hour to do is actually a lot right that's like twenty thousand dollars a year and depending on your state it might be more because taxes could be high you know i want to i want to jump ahead and i want to read this this uh is it unethical for me to tell my employer i've automated my job do you want to okay because this seems like it's super applicable to what we're talking about right now so this is a question i think you and i should crack really quick and i'll just try to bust through this he says i currently work on a legacy system for a company the system is really old and although i was hired as a programmer my job is pretty much a glorified data entry to summarize excuse me i get a bunch of requirements which is literally just lots of data for each month on spreadsheets and i have to configure the system to make it work which is basically just writing a whole bunch of SQL scripts. It's not quite as simple as that because whoever wrote the system originally really wrote it backwards. And in fact, the analysts who create spreadsheets actually spend a fair bit of time verifying my work because the process is so tedious that it's kind of easy to make a mistake. As you can guess, it's pretty much the most boring job ever. However, it's a full-time job with decent pay and I can work remotely so I get to stay home with my son. 
So I've been doing it for about 18 months, and in that time, I've basically figured out all the traps to the point where I've actually written a program, or you could say in this case a bot, let's just say for the sake of conversation. I've written a bot, which for the past six months has been just doing the whole thing for me. So it used to take that last guy like a month, now maybe takes 10 minutes to clean the spreadsheet and run it through the bot. Now the problem is, do I tell them? If I tell them, they'll probably just take the program and get rid of me. I'm sorry, they'll probably just take the bot and get rid of me. This isn't like a company with tons of IT work. They have a legacy system where they keep all of their customers' data since forever, and they just need someone to maintain it. At the same time, it doesn't feel like I'm doing the right thing. I mean, right now, once I get the specs, I run it through my bot about every week or so, I tell them I've completed some part of it, and I get them and I let them test it. I even have inserted a few bugs here and there to make it look like it's been generated by a human. There might be amendments to the spec and corresponding through email, etc., but overall I spend probably one or two hours per week on my job, which for I'm getting a full-time wage. I really enjoy the so, free time, but is it unethical to continue? This seems like this exact problem is going to happen. I mean, this, what this guy, this guy, what he's going through is going to happen to a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, so, okay. So the fact that he's actually injecting yeah. uh, synthetic bugs. Yeah. Or, well, that's whatever. where it goes off the rails. That's So, you know, I am not an attorney, um, but I'm pretty sure a prosecutor would say that shows consciousness of guilt. Yeah. Because you're trying to cover it up. Yeah. You do need to tell your employer. Before then, you could have gone with the I don't sell my time, I sell the results argument. Yeah, but once you cover it up, right? Well, yeah. once... Even then, I think that's a very, very weak argument. It's just the, you know, sometimes the cover-up is worse than the crime. Now, from a practical perspective, maybe you don't, like, tell them you've been doing it for however long you've been doing it. Because they might, you know, have a problem Yeah, okay, so, so if this guy, you know, he's really in a jam here. So obviously what he's got to do now is he's got to work his way out in the most ethical way he can going forward. But uh, 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 pat yourself on the back for at least... <clears throat> At least having a bit of guilt about it and now correcting the yeah. situation. And I would just say, uh, you know, pitch it in a way like, um, you know, uh, as actually just tell them the truth and say, you know, it's good news. You know, as things of this process have gotten simpler over the last 18 months for me, I've been on the side, been spending a little extra time creating a bot to do all of this stuff. And it's actually working out really great. I've been testing it a few times. I think we should uh, try it some more. Um, and, you know, be honest with and say, I'm a little worried about working myself out of a job here, but maybe there's other things that this thing could handle. Well, maybe there's other workflows this thing could right. manage. Because try, to identify, try to identify ways that you can provide value. Here's the thing is, right? Exactly. He, there may be something else. If he could show them how well this is working, there may be other things for him to work on. And remember, this business is paying this group of analysts to then review the data. So it's it's like it's they're paying a lot for stuff they don't need because it's not just this guy's time, but it's the analysts then that are reviewing right. the output of the bot, and that is. <laughs> you, you definitely like as a uh, Freck Labs is saying. You definitely need a frequent number. Uh, you need to not like introduce uh, you know, fictitious bugs. That's, yeah. That if in I mean again. Stop now. now Stop now and bring up the conversation. And now there's no bugs. So have now. So now just let's let's try it. And look, no bugs. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, yeah, you're you're on a. Yeah, man, that's rough. Yeah, you're on an ethical uh, tightrope here. Um, Well, not really. Actually, you're not on a tightrope. What you're doing is not right. So, okay, so let's remove the introducing bugs part of it just for a second because I I wouldn't spend a lot of time on it, but I do feel like the overall problem 
where because uh, I as a contractor, this was always the thing I was trying to get to because the more I could simplify the amount of work I had to do for my clients, the more clients I could take on, the more money I could make. So I was always, always, always of the mindset to work myself out of a job because then I could also hand off the client. Um, and the reality was the more I did that, the less time it took. And there were times where by people who were paying me at the time, the, the, my boss was like, you know, you, you, you work faster than anybody else does now for some of these clients because they, you know, they were still my clients. They hadn't been handed off yet. And the issue, he says, is that uh, I need you to pad your hours out a bit. Well, and I, and I said, another. what? And I said, well, because he, he said, here's the thing. I'm going to send a new guy in there to replace you and he's going to double their bill. When he goes in there, because he's going to take more time than you. And, and he said, I, we are charging for a result. It's literally the words he used. And so, well, okay. If, if you, so, I mean, this is not, you know, not to get on a soapbox here, but if you're charging someone X, X dollars to do a job, right. Flat, like right. five grand, whatever. Right. right. Then if I do it in 15 seconds, I have no guilt about charging you five grand because you agreed on a fixed Right, price. but the problem is they worked on an hourly wa- ba- basis. And you are really working on an hourly wage. and Yeah. So you know what we did? It was actually yeah. a good compromise is uh, we just used that. I just uh, – I helped I helped train the guy. So the guy came and shadowed me and then we just kind of did a handoff. And it worked out fine. But that was literally like the value conversation they're having is like, dude, you're working too fast. You're getting the stuff in, you, you know, you've you've automated half this stuff that we used to take hours to do, which is good. But now we don't get to charge hours for it. And they did eventually transition to a monthly maintenance fee. And so then it was all about, yeah, make that as efficient as possible. So they figured it out as a business. But there was this awkward transition period where they hadn't solved it yet. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is obvious, but like you should not be filling out timesheets for hours. You don't work. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. So um, there is a big news announcement today. Speaking of Hoopla, Mike's uh, personal friend over at System76 oh, is uh, pretty busy oh on the internet because uh, uh, System76 today announced Pop OS. Pop OS, and it's, it's P-O-P exclamation mark underscore OS, which that is kind is, of a mouthful. So if you – going to be a bitch for SEO. You know what you could do is you, you just – just POS, just acronym, POS. How about 76 OS? That's what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. So they say it's going to be a powerful operating system just for creators. A new, it's not a distro, it's a, it's a modern, powerful OS designed for people who use their computer to create, whether it's complicated, professional-grade software and products, 3D models, computer science, or working on the latest invention. Or charger bots. Um, what are your rea- what's your reaction to this? I'm still formulating mine. So I, I, I am formulating. I've been re- I spent about an hour before the show reading Reddit about this. And uh, oh, first I'm of sorry. all, I'm wow, sorry. yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, man, <laughs> definitely not a great day to be Ryan. Woo. Uh, it's like there's not a lot of positivity, mm-hmm. which I find strange because on the one hand, like. I definitely have a concern. You know, I was there for the uh, uh, System76 Superfan event where they unveiled all their, you know, their master plan for that laptop they just released and that they're going to start building their own machines rather than, uh, you know, using uh, resellers. But they're not a big company. So there, there is an argument in here, and I think it's a bad argument, but I'm just going to try to make the argument that I think the angry trolls on Reddit are trying to make, but can't help themselves. 
you know, they're not a big company. And doing hardware engineering and software engineering, and they already did some software engineering like on the kernel level and all that stuff. It, it, it certainly is a big effort for them. And it's also unclear to me like how much of a new OS this is because it's still built on Ubuntu. Yeah. So yeah. is it really like what, you know, back in the day we would have called a spin? Yes. Perhaps. Yeah, it is. Because that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, but I think what the, I think the reason why they're positioning it as an OS today is because tomorrow they may have a totally different release cadence than Ubuntu. They may have a totally different feature set. They're still right. going to base it on Ubuntu, but I, I think the intention here is to differentiate it to a degree so that way you don't expect it to behave like an Ubuntu flavor. I mean, if they can get me, I mean, they make a bunch of UI changes. It looks a lot like Unity with like like GNOME 3 and Unity had a baby, which is fine. Um, bottom line, if when this comes out in October, if installing it on my Lemur over here gives me more battery life because of some you know, low-level hardware optimization they do, then that is worth the $0 price of admission. So this is an interesting thing because they're positioning this, and you go to system76.com slash pop as a OS, not just for their hardware, but for any creator out there. And that's an interesting proposition because it means that they are also going to be – so they're now so they're now an OS vendor. Uh, that's fascinating. Um, to me, yeah, this, it, it, it is confusing, right? Because they keep calling it its own OS, but it really – really does it i mean it is a spin so so um you know my my initial thought was uh since they announced the pop theme and all of this i thought i think i think something inside canonical i'm sorry i think something inside system 76 snapped when canonical announced the end of unity 7 and the end of the unity 8 project i think I think there was this pent-up anxiousness for, for new features for the Ubuntu desktop to move forward. Like, I think there was this beginning feeling like the lack of progress is holding back hardware sales, potentially. And when, when the announcement came that they were ending their investment in Unity, I think the, the dams broke inside System76, and they had a come-to-Jesus moment. And this is them still, still getting their heads together after this because uh this is a huge shift if you think about it um if you look at what canonical is going to do ubuntu is we're starting to see with ubuntu 1710 is essentially a pretty you can draw a straight line from unity 7 to the gnome 3 desktop environment on 1710 like they're moving a lot of the same stuff over and unity 7 not going away turns out still installable still going to be you can select either gnome or unity after you've installed unity at the login screen so uh, it's, it is not a dramatic, the world has ended shift, and it would have been simple for System76 to just keep on keeping and shipping that. Um, and so some of this stuff they've decided to do, they decided to make, to make these changes before Canonical was clear what they were going to do design-wise and Unity and GNOME-wise. And some of this stuff they've decided to do since Canonical has made it clear. So it hasn't it hasn't it hasn't dissuaded them. They're continuing on, and I find it, I find that to be uh, a fascinating, um, risky move for a small business because, like you said, not only are they now taking on manufacturing, which would seem to be a huge new aspect for the business to wrap its head around, but now they're also becoming an OS vendor, and they're talking about potentially different release cadences. They're they're talking about adding feature sets that most Linux distros don't have. 
Um, so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of speculation right now about where it's going to go. But today, like you say, what we really have is a Ubuntu wallpaper respin. And I don't mean to be so critical, but essentially what we have here is some forkage with it with a with a new theme. And it's it's all right, but today it's nothing remarkable. But I, they're not even shipping this thing really until October, so we'll see. Right. Which I mean, you know, they people are pointing out in the chat they are calling it a distro, so may, maybe they will have more stuff than they have right now in October. Uh, you know, uh, I, where are they calling it a distro specifically? Just because their GitHub page says distro doesn't mean anything, because in all of their literature they're calling it OS, and on Twitter there it's Carl and Ryan are very carefully calling it an OS and not a yeah, distro. Yeah, it's interesting. The marketing material says oh, pop OS, and it always refers to it as an operating yeah. system. Yeah, but the um, GitHub repo calls I, it. I a did receive under uh, under a under an um, you know a like what are they what an embargo until this morning. I did receive an email from Ryan, um, and in that. It's all referred to as an operating system, and that's like the you know like the press release and stuff like that. Uh, so it seems it is a distro, and it probably started as that. But then, as you know, as you think about it, if you're System seventy six and you want to take on the MacBook, you don't sell a distro. You sell you sell a whole OS. You sell a whole product. So, I mean, we've been less than positive, but but I got to be honest. Like, if this actually makes sense and works in October, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's some material advantage, or frankly, it's pre-installed because I'm lazy, it looks fine, right? Like, if they could get some sort of optimization for their hardware, the theme is a bit why, it's a bit bright, so it's a little distracting for me. So I yeah, would, but you can change it yeah, right? exactly. You, yep, yep. You go in and change all that. That's right. why it needs to be more than the theme, obviously, because that's one of the first things I'll probably I'll probably just go to Arc Dark. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I am really interested to see where they go with this because my initial response is negative. I have to be honest. It seems like okay. it seems like biting off more than they can chew. It also seems like other really great distributions like Elementary OS that already have brand and recognition for being high quality. Which, if you matched that with high quality hardware, would be two things that would play really well together and probably would really excite the Linux community. I think that to me seemed like a natural way to go. Also, one of the elementary OS developers works at System76. They've had Hackfest yes, at System76. So it seemed to me like uh, it seemed like a natural fit. That said, uh, I do kind of understand as a business owner why Carl and the, peop- and the folks at System76 would want to try to differentiate their products more. And this could be a clear product differentiator. So it it really comes down to how they how well how well it succeeds, and we have to keep in mind that it is not as hard to respin the GNOME desktop as say it used to be in the past. GNOME shell is highly customizable, mm-hmm. um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think we should. Um, you know, I'm still running GNOME three because lazy, and I don't use alpha software. <laughs> but let's see what uh, what happens. I, I I'm a little more optimistic because I you know. Don't forget, a lot of people are getting into the Linux professional developer workstation now. So I, I definitely understand, or I, I can I can see an argument uh, for them to say, we now need to tighten the integration between the software and the hardware on our systems mm-hmm. to really have that quote-unquote Mac-like experience. Um, and it will also enable them to provide presumably much better, much tighter support. Well, and, and if they if they create something unique and they upstream it like they say they're going to, then it would seem like in the end, everybody kind of wins anyways. Uh, the one thing uh, that s- that sets off a bit of an alarm bell for me is in this entire process, they've they've actually forked Norm- a Gnome Shell. So they're not just mm. taking Gnome Shell and re-theming it. 
Um, right. And I think that's – so that way they can theme the login manager too, uh, if I'm guessing. Um, I'm not sure why they would have to fork Gnome Shell because there's branding – there's other ways to brand Gnome Shell. But anyways, they are forking, forking Norm, Gnome Shell to do this. That to me seems like uh, – I don't know. That to me seems like a red flag. That's a, that's a flag on the, on the field right there, however you say it in, in the sports ball. But uh, it's something to watch and see where things go. And uh, well, I'm going to have, I'm going to have, I'm going to think about it. I have a, I have a notepad right here. I've been taking notes as you and I talk right, right here. And uh, Noah and the beard and I are going to kick it around on user air this week too. Uh, Cause I know they also have thoughts on it. So I think it's probably going to be one of our, one of our topic du jours on user. Um, you know, we're kind of running out of time and I yes. had one thing I wanted, I had at least one more tooth. Okay. So let's bust through these. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take a moment and I'll say, I'll say thanks to scale your code. Thanks to scale your code for sponsoring Coder radio. And what a great deal. You guys just go to scaleyourcode.com and sign up to their mailing list, low flow mailing list, and you get access to the interviews, inside looks and tutorials. Interviews with great experts that really have experience with this stuff where you can learn from them. A little osmosis right here in Actions where you can get tips to scale your infrastructure, surround yourself with a good crowd and build a good culture, solve nearly impossible problems. I like this one. This is, this is a pretty good one. I learned how Thomas builds fast WordPress plugins that solve users' problems. I actually, you know what? Fascinated by that as somebody who runs a WordPress website. Uh, he, ta- he talks about some of the challenges working in that ecosystem. He talks about contributing to WordPress core and that whole, that whole thing and his workflow and how he tackles big coding projects and how he found the right business partner. Seems like it, that could be extremely useful. Scaleyourcode.com. Go there, sign up for the low flow mailing list and get access to in- interviews, tutorials, guides, and insights. Scaleyourcode.com. Big thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Coder Radio. Do we need to uh, spend much time on the fact that today, I mean, it does seem like it had a big impact on this show, 10th anniversary of the iPhone today. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to take a minute. I mean, but first, let's take a steaming pile on the uh, the Apple app show. Oh, you want to? Yeah, that's a great way to start. Let's do it. It's bad. It's really so, bad. So j- just the people who keep sending me hate mail about this, Chris keeps putting this in the show notes, not me. Who, me? No, 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 never, never, never. Did, okay, I did put this one. You're right. But I don't think yeah. I put the last one in here. No, the last one was me. So, <laughs> okay. Like, if you like that show, oh. and if you think, and this is my key argument, if you think it is a realistic view of what being an app entrepreneur is right, you were right and I was wrong. Yeah, there you go. Keep, have at it. Because right? have basically, at it. <laughs> everybody has failed. Woo. Like, dramatically so there um, is a, there is a really good video in the article we have linked in the show notes and it's called everything wrong with apple's planet of the apps is probably on youtube as well and holy shit if that's not if that's not a total takedown of this thing um they imply that apple sherlocked ar kit from one of the guys in this contest i don't know if, no i apple had to be working ar kit first i agree but i agree really makes being an ar platform vendor on ios uh a, a business destined for bankruptcy <laughs> I just want to say that. And if you don't know, that was one of the big success cases, right? That like people yeah. were talking about. Oh, but did you see? I forgot the name of the company. But yeah. Yeah. basically their deal is they have an AR uh, platform, their business model, as convinced by the uh, Apple panel of geniuses, was to change to B2B. So license the software for other apps to use your AR platform. Great business until some big platform vendor makes AR easier to use, better, and free. Mm-hmm. That's like the trifecta from hell. The whole thing when I saw like I saw Will I Am or whoever it was that was 
yeah. that was uh, commandeering uh, somebody's really great idea. The fox, the fitness mm. app. Yeah, yeah. Adding the talking fox to it. I have to say, the, the talking fox warrior, and then they broke the app. Yeah, I. Um... So they have it. So the idea of this app was that you have like a little, little fake virtual pet yeah. on your internet right. phone that is fed and taken care of based on your workout activity that's recorded in Apple Health. I kind of like that idea, actually. I think it'd be great for kids, actually, right? Your your yeah. your dog kid, or your yes. fox gets fat if you don't. You yes, know, yes, exercise. exactly. Or me, yeah. <laughs> or Chris just continues. And then, to, so to yeah. see a great app idea like that just be destroyed by one of the hosts on the show, it just that was too much for me. Too well, much. and the best is like check out the video because the uh, the look on the face of the guy. Who yeah, owns yeah, the he's like what? Company, you can tell he, he knows it's a bad idea, but like, what do you do? You're mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. Fucking Will I Am, who for whatever you think, the guy is like a multimillionaire. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're offering you a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it was it was I, I don't know. The reason I guess it's it does feel like um and then we've recently had uh, Scott Forstall um up on stage, total coming across as a total class act, making everything sound rational and uh uh taking a couple of shots here and there, but you look at you look at you look at ten years ago and you look at today where we have Planet of the Apps today. I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but let, let, let's look at ten years ago because you know we're we're having a little fun at Apple's expense because frankly they can afford it. Um, they actually changed how platform vendors deal with developers, and we have tended to focus on the negative because of when the show started. But if we time travel back to like two thousand six, let's just go in our way back machine. Apple when they came out with the app store in uh, late 2008, 2009 was basically the most liberal person you could possibly deal with in terms of proprietary mobile platforms. Mm-hmm. You used to have to make deals with carriers. carriers to get yeah. And carriers had your, to... Java, your Java ME software yeah. on their piece. Of yep. Phones, right? Yep. And carriers would even in some cases have to test it on their devices on the network before yeah. you could even, it was just basically impossible. Oh, and by the way, the 70, 30 split. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was a deal by deal basis. And you were lucky if you got like 15%. And that's like fifteen percent was a good deal. Yeah, there's no question it changed everything. It really did. It's yeah, one of the it, larger. What's one of the larger technology shifts in my lifetime? Yeah, and they, they really did enable a lot of small developers. And unfortunately, you know, as technologies mature, the big boys come in, and that's kind of what makes Planet of the Apps a little bit of a farce because it's just too damn late. Even good ideas can be demolished by bigger competition, mm-hmm. or in some cases, will I am, but. Yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like we're almost, and here comes the Apple action show feedback, but we're almost too negative on Apple because it's easy to look at the world the way it is now and forget that it used to actually be a lot worse mm-hmm. for the small independent developer. Um, and really Apple had a hand in that. Now they, they have their hangups and I, you know, I wrote that blog post, the Moors of the King about how like Apple decided that it was like in you know, a historical app or a civil war game to show a Confederate flag that they like start throwing those off the app store. But like, that's nothing compared to what like Blackberry, AKA rim used to do or HP used to do or Verizon. If you've ever dealt with Verizon in any capacity, Amen. you know what I'm talking about. Amen to that. Especially like if you worked or did development for a company who was like trying to get their software on Verizon hardware, and and it, it, it's so hard to make these analogies because now we think about like Samsung, uh, we think about LG, we think about Apple. 
the phone makers didn't matter back then. It was Verizon. Mm-hmm. It was AT&T. Mm-hmm. So it was a totally different world, and it was a much, much worse world. Yeah, it was uh, singular, actually. Singular. Oh, I forgot. Well, I'm even thinking just like for the, yeah. you know, for the old the uh, hardcore telcos. Stuff. Is, yeah. Oh hardcore. my gosh, Mike. I, uh, I remember I was at work during the keynote and I saw that and I went, yeah, that's, that's going to be a thing. I could see it immediately. And it, I was wrong. I, I did, I did not buy it. Oh, I didn't buy the first one either. No, I could tell it was, a, it was definitely a first gen product. Oh, no, I didn't buy the concept because I, oh. I couldn't get past my head. I was saying, why the hell would the carriers? And I was thinking particularly about Verizon. Yeah. Yeah. That was, this, was really well, focused. remember it was a singular exclusive. Well, and that's the answer, right? Verizon said no, and, mm-hmm. and Singular, mm-hmm. in their dying breath, did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it yeah. was that requirement to not put any shit on there that I think made a big difference. It I think it set a bar. Industry. Yeah. Oh, and that we distribute the software, not the carrier, because again, it is such a different world. Before the carrier used to just distribute the software, either you had a pre-installed deal, mm-hmm. just like if you remember the uh, the Spy Games or whatever it was mm-hmm. on Windows, <laughs> it was a deal like that, or you had like the Verizon, you know whatever in the in like three levels deep in the menu you could get in and like download your app now fast forward to 2017 and and uh, at least in the summer of 2017 one of the things in the apple ecosystem that people are more excited about than the phone is the tablet again especially with these new ipad pros ironically it sounds like if now that you know here we are 10 years later we're getting quite a good detailed history of the iphone it started as a tablet project yep and then they're like well can we make this a phone and uh, here we have it. So you are highlighting uh, workflow, which uh, yeah, I've heard I, good things about. Well, so Apple bought them, right? They were an independent company. Um, and what they do is you can chain together literally workflows to create a bigger workflow and basically do more complex things with your iOS device by chaining individual actions from individual apps together. So like uh, take my current location, uh, route that home, figure out the time, and then send a message to my wife at what yeah. time I'll be home. That It's it's almost like an if this, then that. Yeah, from- upload my last photo and my camera roll directly to Dropbox. Don't, don't, don't ask me, just do it. Maybe Zapier is a better analogy, but yeah. Um, and so I've I've never used it, but I've heard this is how a lot of people make uh, tablets their their full time device. Yeah, if you listen Sounds to like any of the black magic the, to me. Yeah, the deeper Apple guys. This is the ones who are like trying to live on iPads. This is how they're doing it. Um, I use it some. I I find it a little hard to get working with, and I'm pretty sure iOS 11 is just going to fix this, both from a development and a user perspective. Hmm. It's free now, though, right? Well, because Apple bought them and made yeah. it free. Yeah. yeah. Which is so, probably a sign it's eventually going to get killed off. Or or parts of it that Apple likes. Like one thing, all the Google integrations went away when Apple bought them. Oh, classic. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. There, 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 was, a, there was a whole bunch of like so – the, the story, and this is all like rumor and conjecture, so don't, don't hold me to it. Um, the story that I heard was that because, uh, you know, they were a startup, they don't really give a crap, right? They just went ahead and like started doing these API integrations without permission. And oh, you know, yeah, yeah. people don't care if you're a five man company because they're like, all right, son, you know, you go, you go on. I, in fact, I think I even heard like yeah. somebody thought maybe in discovery during the purchase, it was discovered that they didn't have like an actual license to use that stuff. And so Apple's like, you got to shut that down. Well, and if you follow any like prominent yeah, app developers, right. you'll hear that they were forced to sign like license agreements. Yep. Uh, yeah. So. Yes. Yeah, certain developers who had integration in the past all got these weird uh, overnight emails saying, "Hey, you got to sign this really quick if you want us to keep working with you." 
Right. And if you didn't, they just kicked out your, they just got you. Yeah. And and I think the whole thing is Google probably didn't do it fast enough. And then now that it's Apple, it's like, we're not going to bother. Google's like, yeah, why don't you just go to hell? You want that integration? Get an Android, son. <laughs> like, have you seen our new uh, uh, Nexus or what is it now? The, the Pixel. Google Pixel. Our, I, yeah, you know, I'm sure. I, I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure it's probably selling incredibly well. Uh, anyways, that's cool. I might check it out. I might check it out. So that's that's workflow, workflow. And they just recent. How long ago did they update it? So they're actually still developing it. Yeah. May eighth. May eighth. Not too long ago. Probably. Well, we have a few more things we weren't able to get to in the show notes. Uh, Next week is all about uh, DevOps automation, unless something big happens. Like, I don't know, Ryan Sipes decides to release him the fucking operating system. What? Oh, my goodness. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. Or he's going to go for convergence. They're going for convergence. Now, there you have it right there. You know what they should do is take that Unity 8, fork it. uh, They should just call it Unity. (laughs) Mr. Dominic, where can people find you throughout the week? Uh, Find me at Dumanuko, and I'm dropping Easter eggs for the launch on August 1st. Ooh, Hashtag Dominic Leaks. Also find me at Chris LAS. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Give us your feedback, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Also, in any episode of our show, you'll find RSS links where you can subscribe and then just get the show automatically. And check out last week's user error where Mike joined us to chat about life and other things. Our, I, can't, I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good tease. I'll leave it there. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you right back here next Thursday. <laughs>